welcome, witches and ghouls, to a very special presentation of Spencer's After Dark Presents Spooky Stories. And we have a special guest tonight, and his name is Brandon. You might know him as our honorary spinster and spooky promotions manager, and also our very own personal photographer. Welcome, Brandon. Welcome, Brandon. Hi, thank you for having me, ladies. <laughs> so today we're going to be, you know, sharing some spooky, wonderful stories with you folks. And we are kind of the spooky stories crew. We've been getting together once a week on Sunday evening to share wacky and weird and spooky mysteries and creepy paranormal supernatural occurrences and everything in between. Of course, the Halloween season is my favorite time of the year. And what could be better than sharing some tales of fright? <laughs> yeah, so this is an idea that I had at the beginning of the pandemic because growing up as a child, and as many of us have all talked about on the interwebs and the internet, uh, I we we're all huge. I was a huge um, Are You Afraid of the Dark fan and I always wanted to have my own group of people who would sit around and tell each other spooky stories. And so beginning of the pandemic, Kelly and I were chatting one night and I'm just like, we need to do spooky stories. We need to have a night where we're like, we get together and we just share all kinds of spooky paranormal ghost stories. And we've been doing this since uh, pretty much since April or March, honestly. Mm -hmm. We tell each other scary, spooky stories. <laughs> and so I'm going to start our evening off tonight with a spooky story that I found on Creepypasta. And just we want to remind everyone that all these stories that we are sharing with you tonight are ones that we have found on over the internet over the last couple of months or some new ones that we're sharing tonight. So the story I have today relates on my fear of tech horror and things that keep me awake at night. So this one is called I Plan to Delete My YouTube Account. And it's from an unknown writer on Creepypasta. My name is Chloe. I am a 22-year-old college student from Minneapolis, and I am addicted to the internet. I keep a YouTube channel that I update every month with parodies of popular TV shows and occasional video in which I address my viewers directly. Lately, however, something truly bizarre has been disrupting my channel. It was the morning after I uploaded a new video to my channel. It had been a thank you to my viewers for helping me reach 100,000 subscribers, along with a montage of myself doing silly things my fans have suggested in the comments. So, when it so it came as a surprise when I checked how many views the video had and found it had more dislikes than likes. I had always put a lot of work into my videos and my subscribers were fiercely loyal. So I failed to see how a video made specifically for them could be received so poorly. Looking through the comments, I saw dozens of phrases like, I don't get it, and what's this supposed to be? When I scrolled back up the video, I realized it was not the one I uploaded last night. The video I had uploaded last night was a thank you video. The video on my screen now was 16 minutes long and its title was just a timestamp. I went back to the previous page and saw that the real video was indeed, my channel, uh, was indeed on my channel, but this anomaly had been uploaded since then. Curious to see what it was, I clicked on the video and began to watch. My screen showed a girl busily typing at the computer, me. Nothing happened for the entire duration of the video, and it ended abruptly without explanation. I realized I must have left my camera running while I was editing Thank You, and somehow uploaded a junk footage with the intended video. After posting a comment apologizing for my mistake, I grabbed my textbooks and went to the school for the day. I would delete the video when I had time this evening. When I got home, I spent the next few hours finishing my homework and tidying up my room. I ate a quick supper, cobbled together from random stuff in my fridge, and got right back to work on my channel. 
I glared with frustration at the screen when I found another unwanted video up had been uploaded. This one was just over three hours long. It began with me lying on the floor, flipping through a textbook. Later it showed me walking around my room, reorganizing my bookshelf, and picking up clothes that I had worn yesterday. Near the end of the video, I walked out of the room, probably to get some supper. What was going on with my computer? I had not even touched it since this morning. It had something to do with the camera, or would it only have been a matter of time before the video was posted of me changing my clothes or drying off of the shower? I delved into the innards of my laptop, trying to find the cancerous bit of code responsible for these accidental videos. I must have gone through every program and file three times over, but everything seemed to be in order. I gave up around midnight. I had class at 8.30 the next morning, and I needed some sleep. I put a sheet of paper on the front of my camera so that even if it did upload another video, my viewers would not see anything I did not want them to see. Exhausted, I turned off the lights and went to sleep. I checked my channel before school the next morning. For some reason, it was exploding with activity. Every time I clicked the refresh button, the latest upload on my channel had 100 new views. But how could a six hour video with a solid black thumbnail and a timestamp with the title be so popular? I started the video, but nothing happened. Nothing appeared to be happening. I looked in the comments for an explanation. Have you lost it? Why would you post this? What happened to the old videos? Is this some kind of joke? I don't know what's going on. Reply, do you see it? Reply, see what? Reply, 3018, watch closely. I skipped half hour into the video, staring at the, at the seemingly dead screen. Suddenly it looked like something was moving. It was hardly visible black on black shift that only lasted a few seconds. But when it was over, I would recognize the faint outlines in the darkness. It was my room. And the movement had been me, shifting in my sleep. How could the camera have seen this? Was the paper I had put on the front of it not thick enough? When the Chloe in the video shifted again, I froze. The camera angle in this video was different from the others. My bed could not be seen from my camera. This video had been taken from my bedroom window. And my first story is called Seaweed. My grandmother grew up in the slums of the Prohibition era in Chicago. Her family lived in a small house near the harbor, and one of her earliest memories was of a hot summer time when seeking shelter from the heat, she and her sister discovered a seldom used section of boardwalk near an abandoned warehouse. Every night for several weeks, the two girls would make their way down to the docks and sit together on the edge of the pier as the sun went down. My grandmother would recall the feeling of seaweed between her toes as she and her sister dangled their feet into the murky water. It wasn't until years later that she returned to the pier and found out that the warehouse had been demolished. Curious, she made an inquiry with the Department of Planning and Development, and apparently, the warehouse had been owned for a time by the Mafia, who was using it as a base of operations for a local prostitution racket. It had only been discovered when an associate began disposing of rival sex workers by fitting them with concrete shoes and dumping them into the harbor. Investigating police had recovered nearly two dozen bodies from the waters of a secluded pier nearby. And how had the bodies been discovered? A passing fisherman spotted some of the victim's hair floating near the surface of the water, like seaweed. My first one is called The Portraits. 
There was a hunter in the woods who, after a long day hunting, was in the middle of an immense forest. It was getting dark, and having lost his bearings, he decided to head in one direction until he was clear of the increasingly oppressive foliage. After what seemed like hours, he came across a cabin in a small clearing. Realizing how dark it had grown, he decided to see if he could stay there for the night. He approached and found the door ajar. Nobody was inside. The hunter flopped down on the single bed, deciding to explain himself to the owner in the morning. As he looked around, he was surprised to see the walls adorned by many portraits, all painted in incredible detail. Without exception, they appeared to be staring down at him, their features twisted into looks of hatred. Staring back, he grew increasingly uncomfortable. Making a concerted effort to ignore the many hateful faces, he turned to face the wall, and exhausted, he fell into a restless sleep. Face down in an unfamiliar bed, he turned blinking in unexpected sunlight. Looking up, he discovered that the cabin had no portraits, only windows. All right. So this one is a bit of a longer story, so bear with me. Um, it's uh, actually based on a true haunting that I found on this website full of different uh, people who had different experiences with ghosts in their apartments. When I was almost 24, I moved into my first apartment after a spring semester living in a dorm as a non-traditional student. Because I didn't want to get stuck living in a dorm again, I pre-applied for an apartment and signed a lease, sight unseen. However, I did have a courtesy showing afterwards, but it didn't matter. I already had the apartment. The property management employee met me at the building, but really had no clue what he was doing. He was clearly a maintenance guy who had been asked to show the apartment because he was in the area. My apartment was upstairs, so he crept up the rickety stairs to the second floor, and I noted right away that everything was covered in a thick layer of dust, as if it had been abandoned for months. It had a simple layout, bathroom on the top stairs, bedroom on the right, and then a kitchen, and then a living room. I did notice there were pennies in all the rooms, too, but I just figured that the previous tenants just left in a hurry. In the main hallway, there was a doorway to an attic. This attic was the size of an entire apartment, and I was stoked about having the extra space. The door had a latch that you could put a padlock on, which I found strange, but figured it had been used for the owner's storage in the past and might have not always have been accessible to the tenants. The maintenance man opened the door to the attic and tried to flip the switch, but we quickly discovered that the utilities had been shut off. He commented that my suspicion of the tenants leaving in a hurry was probably right. He mused that they had probably been evicted and the management company never shut off utilities because tenants so that they had been shut off by the utility company. It was a bright and sunny day, so we hadn't we didn't need to turn on the lights until this point and decided that enough light was filtering into the attic to check it out. At the top of the stairs, there was spray painted on the wall, Blood Ben, Blood Ben. I think I said out loud how creepy it was, but figured it could have just I could just put a poster out of it over it anyway. The main thing the guy responded with how the previous tenants smoked in the building, which I could clearly smell, and that there was no smoking policy in the apartments. I told him that was fine, I didn't smoke anyway. After that, the maintenance guy showed me out and got the keys to the apartment the next day. It was still the last week of classes, and I had really good friends with one of the older lunch ladies, we'll call her S, at the university cafeteria. We were fast friends, and she really played the role of the cool aunt for me while I was living in the college town. My mother had always told me it is important to make friends with people who are older than you, and I'd always taken to that to heart. So anyway, I went to dinner, and of course, S asked me about my apartment showing. 
Over a crappy cafeteria meal, I told her all about the apartment and about Blood Ben. We after, after we speculated on what it meant, S offered to come and cleanse the apartment for me the next day. So she came over with her little dog, saged the apartment, and said, Devil, are you here? You have to get out. And we giggled, and she told me she thought the apartment suited me. I really took ownership of the place. It was my first place, and I was really excited to be on my own after it felt like such a failure to launch for the first five years. Before I moved my things in, I scrubbed the place down, I hung my Harry Potter posters up on the blood bend in the attic, and collected all the pennies everywhere. As I was washing the windows, I found a necklace hanging on one of the front windows. It was the Eye of Horus. I decided to Google the significance and learned that it was a symbol of protection and good health. I didn't know if I didn't know if I liked the meaning or if it was just creeped me out to if I was just too creeped out to take it down, but I really felt like I needed to leave it there. As my way my way through as I made my way through the entire apartment on my cleaning sprees, I found a wallet in the drawer of the kitchen. The coin purse was part was filled with the copper pennies that I realized were all the pennies that I were found were copper all over the apartment. I realized that the pennies were in two places, the center of each room and the corners of the rooms. So I googled the significance of this and discovered that the ones at the centers of the room meant good luck and the ones at the corners of the room were to protect from ghosts and spirits. I kept looking through the wallet and then found the card slots were filled with business cards for the nearby county's victim witness office, several psychologists, a defense attorney, child protective services, which led me to believe that this person who lived in the apartment before me has experienced some violence, child custody issues, and probably mental health issues. Well, that's probably why they needed all this protection. I ended up just shrugging and putting the wallet back in the drawer. That night I moved everything over and waited for and then we waited for the rest of my furniture to come on the weekend. As I laid in my apartment on my first night on this on the mattress from my dorm, watching the office on my phone, I was exhausted after doing so much work on my own. That's when I heard it. Footsteps walking through the attic above me. I froze. I could hear the blood rushing to my ears as panic coursed through me. I could hear a heart pounding unusually loud as I quickly scanned my brain for a logical explanation. I landed on one quickly. The man who lives in the other's upstairs apartment has a finished attic that serves as a bedroom. I remembered this from the online listing which showed pictures from all four apartments in the fourplex. He must be walking around his bedroom and the sound must be carrying across the empty wooden floor attic since there is nothing there to absorb the sound. Absorb the sound. It was good enough to answer, it was a good enough answer for me. So I ended up rolling on my side and fell asleep to the sounds of Jim, Dwight, and Michael Scott. I didn't have pot and pans, so the next morning I just microwaved myself some food for breakfast. I was waiting for the timer around the countdown when I looked up at the top of my cupboards and noticed something else left by the previous tenants. It was really inconspicuous, and, there was, and I was not surprised that I missed it the yesterday during my cleaning tour. I climbed up the counter and pulled it down. In my hands was a two-quart mason jar filled with stuff and nothing cutesy. There were needles and pins, rusty bent nails, and some mysterious liquid. My stomach dropped, and for some reason, which bottle came to mind? Now, I love spooky and paranormal shows like The X-Files, but I promise you that I had never heard about a witch bottle before. I had never dabbled in the witchcraft besides trying and failing to play light as a feather, stiff as a board, and Girl Scouts. So I pulled out my phone and typed it in Google and found some GeoCities page with neon colors and a black background that explained to me that it was probably filled with urine and possibly menstrual blood, and it was created to protect the creator from negative psychic energy. Uh, fuck that. I marched downstairs to the back alley and dumped that thing in the trash. I was a little concerned about inviting some bad jujube from getting rid of it, but decided that since it was made to protect someone who abandoned it, I was safe. 
Plus, I wasn't sure I believed in bad juju. Over the next few months, I was able to get all my furniture and add it to my apartment, and I got a cat. I really made the place my home. Since the attic door made my heart pound every time I walked by it, I decorated the door with a bunch of old Harry Potter magazine clippings and whatnot. I put a padlock on it because I kept hearing these footsteps. Maybe the guy next door could get into my attic. There was an old door between the two. Maybe I hadn't examined it closely enough and it could be used. I wasn't going to let an intruder come into my apartment at night, so I padlock. I padlocked the attic and it seemed good enough for me. In spite of the attic, my apartment had a lot of light and good atmosphere, so I was happy. Now, the town I live in is at the head of the Lake of Lake Superior, and I relish being in a beautiful place with such crappy weather. I had been living in my apartment for five months in late October, and this particular day we were facing very strong winds. These winds rattled the windows, blew your car door shut when you tried to open, and you know the type of winds you expect with a storm on a seafront. I got to the top of my stairs and rounded the corner one day, one night, and when I came around the corner, I realized my attic door was wide open. My heart was in my throat. My stomach dropped out of my spot. I had, I had a head rush of panic. I frantically packed an overnight bag and some supplies and looked for my cat and wait, where was my cat? Oh, I could hear him running around in the attic. Luckily he came when he was called. I scooped him up and got the fuck out of there. I sped off to campus to tell S what was, who was working the night shift at the calf. S was convinced that the door had opened because of the wind, so there must be some kind of draft in the attic that caused the door to open. I couldn't be consoled. The door had a padlock on it and that lock was still locked on the ring. Someone either came into my apartment to unlock it or I had no other explanation for it except maybe blood ban. It was agreed that I would spend the night on Nessa's couch and I would together we would together check out the apartment come daylight. The next morning we went back to my apartment. I brought my kitty back and we looked around. The atmosphere had significantly changed. When before my apartment held all kinds of light and felt warm and cozy, suddenly it was shadowy and cold. The door was still open, so we unlocked the padlock, relocked, and shut the door. S was convinced that I must have messed with the lock and not remembered, but she might have been saying that to comfort me. She didn't visit my apartment again. I brushed off the atmospheric change as the fact that it was fall. I had, kept, I had to keep living in this place for another seven months, so I was just convinced myself that things hadn't changed. After that, I started waking in the night. I had experienced sleep paralysis before, but what I started experiencing, I couldn't be that. I would wake up and feel an energy in the doorway like I could see an outline of a large figure, but there was nothing there. I'd wake up and it would stare at it, trying to see the figure that I knew was there. I could move. I would often roll onto my side and stare over my shoulder. Sometimes I'd wake up to the sound of my cat playing with his jingle bells, jingle balls rolling down the hall or bouncing down the stairs. I would audibly tell him to stop playing and then feel him on my bed. He wasn't pushing jingle balls around, he was asleep next to me. I would tell myself that there was, must have been a draft and force myself to sleep. I would sometimes feel his energy staring at me from the hallway when I was in the living room. I started cutting through the kitchen to get to my living room so I didn't have to walk by the attic door. The Harry Potter decorations were no longer working. If I needed to put something in my attic for storage, I would call a friend over to do it for me. I could sense something sinister was staring at me from the attic when I walked out of my car parked on the street in front of the building. I would look over my shoulder at my building and I would be surprised not to see a face in the attic window. Was I going crazy? I had lived in this apartment for five months without any issues and then all of a sudden I am filled with anxiety every time I needed to go home. I got another kitty to keep mine entertained and I returned home as little as I could, usually only to sleep and shower. Because of, of my anxiety in my apartment, I often spent my time on campus at friends' houses. 
but one night three friends decided to come over so we could watch a YouTube series on the Apple TV. We, are, we all watched a couple episodes and we were having a good time. They wanted to go outside for a cigarette, but it commented that it was minus 30 degrees out. Feeling emboldened by a few beers, I offered my attic. The previous tenant smoked in there. It smelled like smoke up there. And besides, these guys, they didn't believe in my ghosts. We climbed the stairs and when we hit the top of one of the stairs, one of the guys turned around and says, we have to get out now. We can't be up here. When we all got back to my living room, he told me about how he, when he had hit the top of the stairs, he instantly felt like something there hated him deeply. He babbled on about needing to ground himself. I really didn't listen too closely. I was too preoccupied with the fact that my ghost had been confirmed by someone else. The three of them shortly left after and left me alone with my kitties and my ghost. Another seven months, another seven, eight months in the apartment, I was able to secure another living situation. It wasn't ideal being the only girl in the house with four college guys, but it wouldn't be haunted. I scrubbed out the place, moved everything on my own, and saved a little bit of storage in my attic for last. I got one of my new roommates and a friend who claimed to be sensitive to the spirits to come over and help me. This sensitive friend wanted to come to my apartment before, but after the instance with the three friends needing to leave the attic, I didn't want anything to get stirred up. The three of us hauled everything out and I told that last friend that he could spend some time in the attic but needed to lock the apartment behind him. I said goodbye and went to my new home, leaving the eye of Horace and the wallet of pennies where I found them. My sensitive friend messaged me a few hours later. There was a doorway between the attics. It was sealed, but it was covered in chalk writings in Latin. He didn't tell me what it said, but the door was used as some portal. And that there was a one violent spirit in the attic, and he wanted me. Things likely would have escalated if I had stayed. He reckoned that I had gotten out just in time. For the remaining four years I lived in that town, I avoided that street. The handful of times I had to drive by that building, I felt the same energy in the attic staring down at me from the window as I drove by. And my next story is called The Growths. I'd had them ever since I was a kid. I can remember being incredibly self-conscious about them, hiding them in my pockets under books and bags. The kids in my school never said anything to my face, but I knew they were laughing behind my back. I remember asking my parents to take me to the doctor so I can get them checked out. The growths on my hands. They seemed to be the elephant in the room back then, since they just say I was fine and change the subject, but I knew better. I had tried to remove them as a child, but without avail. Scissors, knives, potato peelers, trying to cut or scrape them off was always a lost cause because I couldn't continue once the pain kicked in. But today was different. It was amazing how numb you can get with a couple of tourniquets and a bottle of Jack Daniels. I was originally planning on using a sharp knife, but I figured that trying to slice through the tough flesh of my growths would be too arduous in my drunken state. So I opted for the slightly more technological plan B. I had to hurry though. I was already pretty lightheaded and was starting to feel dizzy. My hands and forearms nearly blue from the lack of circulation couldn't wait much longer either. The whirling of the blender helped put me in some sort of a trance, ready to do what I'd wanted to do since I first looked down at my strange deformities. I shoved my left hand in first. The immediate sensation of sharp blades slicing through flesh was jarring, but I was surprised as how well the alcohol was working. 
I expected it to hurt more. I could hear the sharp metal churning and cutting, working perfectly as planned. I pressed my hand down harder. All those bad memories, all the embarrassment, and all those horrible things were now nothing more than a thick red pulp. Breaking from the feeling of ecstasy, I pulled out before the blades hit knuckle. I smiled, taking a good look at my new hand. And as for the growths, well, five down, five to go. My next story is called, Where Bad Kids Go. I must have been six or seven when I lived in Lebanon. The country was ravaged by war at the time, and murders were common and frequent. I remember during a particularly vicious era, when the bombings rarely stopped, I would stay at home sitting in front of my television watching a very, very strange show. It was a kid's show that lasted about 30 minutes and contained strange and sinister images. To this day, I believe it was a thinly veiled attempt on the part of the media to use scare tactics to keep kids in place, because the moral of every episode revolved around very uptight ideologies. Stuff like, bad kids stay up late, bad kids have their hands under the covers when they sleep, and bad kids steal food from the fridge at night. It was very weird and in Arabic to top it off. I didn't understand much of it. But for the most part, the images were very graphic and comprehensive. The thing that stuck with me the most, however, was the closing scene. It remained much the same in every episode. The camera would zoom in on an old, rusted, closed door. As it got closer to the door, strange and sometimes even agonizing screams would become more audible. It was extremely frightening, especially for children's programming. Then a text would appear on the screen in Arabic reading, that's where bad kids go. Eventually, both the image and the sound would fade out, and there, that would be the end of the episode. About 15 or 16 years later, I became a journalistic photographer. That show had been in my mind all my life, popping up in my thoughts sporadically. Eventually, I'd had enough and decided to do some research. I finally managed to uncover the location of the studio where much of that channel's programming had been recorded. Upon further research and eventually traveling on site, I found out it was now desolate and had been abandoned after the big war ended. I entered the building with my camera. It was burnt out from the inside. Either a fire had broken out or someone had wanted to incinerate all of the wooden furniture. After a few hours of cautiously making my way into the studio and snapping pictures, I found an isolated, out-of-the-way room. After having to break through a few old locks and managing to break the heavy door open, I remained frozen in the doorway for several long minutes. Traces of blood, feces, and tiny bone fragments lay scattered across the floor. It was a small room and an extremely morbid scene. What truly frightened me, though, what made me turn away and never want to come back, was the bolted, caged microphone hanging from the ceiling in the middle of the room. So this one is a bit longer. And it plays upon my fear of abandoned hospitals and just hospitals in general. So, 
This one's called Hospital Halls, also from uh, Creepypasta. It was a stupid idea. I just wanted to see what was inside. It was scheduled for dem demolition. It had been plenty of times before, but it had always been delayed or cancelled. I just wanted to know what was behind all the rumors. No one else wanted to come with me, so I had to go alone. Well, I didn't really want to go by myself, but what was the worst was going to happen, or what I was going to find? Hobos? Crazed junkies? A feral dog? I figured I could handle anything, but I brought a knife with me anyway. The stories were that, just stories. There's no such thing as ghosts or monsters. I decided to start out midday, so I had plenty of time to explore the building while there's still daylight. Even so, I wasn't going to stay there during the night. There was something off about the hospital I just had to know about. It was hard to get in, but I managed to find a broken window on the first floor of the West Wing. The room inside was a huge mess. There were things smashed on the ground and thrown around everywhere, and the bed was lying on its side. Sheets were strewn about, and a small table had fallen, and various medical utensils were scattered across the room. A scalpel was embedded in the far wall. I concluded it had probably been some stupid kids messing around, thinking they were cool for destroying things in an abandoned hospital. It was darker than I had first imagined. I cursed my poor memory, wishing I had remembered to bring a flashlight. Just in case, I decided to try one of the light switches by the door on the left. Much to my relief and surprise, they worked. I didn't spend much time wondering, wondering why. The door next to the switches was hanging half off its hinges. Pushing it out of the way, I headed into the corridor. It was even darker than with very little light at all. There was a strange smell, and it was slightly disturbing. I couldn't put my finger on what it was exactly. I felt my courage leaving. This place was creepy. No, I told myself, there's nothing scary here. If there is anything, I could probably kill it. With that, I took, I took in all my surroundings. To my left, the north, there was an emergency exit, and to my right, the hallway continued into the building into the complete darkness. I felt myself shuddered as I looked down it. I asked myself if the emergency door was... I asked myself if the emergency door still worked. Checking around in the dark, I could not find any switches nearby, and I did not want to leave the comforting light of the first room. I was just about to head back when the lights in the corridor flickered on. It scared me to half to death. I decided that the lights from the other room were somehow connected to the hallway lights, and that there was probably some sort of delay. I moved down the corridor and further to the hospital. I saw a few dark, empty rooms along the way, and there were a few creaks and little noises, but I was certain that it was just the building expanding in the afternoon heat. What was strange was that the corridor just went on like this for an impossibly long distance. I was sure that I should have reached the end by now. I turned back to see how far I had come. Some six doors down was a room I had entered and the same emergency exit beyond it. That's when I had enough. I went back to the room. It wasn't the same room. There was blood smeared all over the wall as if someone had just painted it with their hands. The light seemed to have no source. I glanced around for the window, but there was none. I couldn't understand. The room had just been there. The room had just been there a minute ago. I stumbled out of the room and heard a door further along the corridor slam shut. I slowly turned and looked behind me. Nothing there. Panic gripped me, and I ran from the blood blood-drenched room. Trying to find a way out of the hospital, I ran, and I got nowhere for a long time. After sprinting for what could have been minutes or hours, I stopped, leaned against the wall, took a breath, and managed to calm myself. There must be some sort of reasonable explanation for this. Maybe you took a wrong turn without realizing it, I thought to myself. Suddenly, there was a series of loud groans and creaks behind me. To my right, there was a new corridor. I walked over and investigated it. No more than 10 meters away was a spiral staircase. It occurred to me that a spiral staircase aren't usually found in hospitals, but with all the other weird crap going on, I wasn't going to question it. I went over and checked out how stable it was. I shook the handrail. Seemed sturdy enough. 
The whole thing seemed to be made of some sort of black metal. I looked back at the corridor and knew if I went black, if I went back there, it would be trapped forever. I didn't take a turn and forget about it. It was just this place. The stairwell was probably the most normal thing here. Nothing strange happened as I climbed it. It ended up where I expected and walked off onto the second floor. It was another corridor, almost exactly like the last one. Only went west-east, looking behind me, I saw the stairs had disappeared. I need to get out, I thought. I searched all the rooms and in hopes that I could find some way out, some way out, some of them were ruined with objects thrown everywhere, some of them filled with blood and disturbing symbols. Some of them were just empty. Eventually I came across a room with only a chair inside. It was standing upright in the center of the room. It was odd, but I thought it was not important. I continued my search for some sort of escape. I was checking the next room and I heard something some wood scrape along the ground several meters away. I turned back and saw the chair was just sitting there. Spooked, I hastened my inspection, putting distance between myself and the chair. I had just finished two more rooms when I heard it again. It was closer this time. I stared at it and backed away. I blinked. I heard the noise again, behind me this time. There wasn't even a meter between me and it. I blinked again. It was almost pressed against my leg. What the fuck? I screamed into the chair. At the hospital. At everything. The chair vanished and I was alone in the never-ending corridor. Let me out of here, I yelled, but the whole building was silent. I, wait, I waited for a second. Nothing happened. I went back to searching the rooms. I had an awful feeling that I had made a huge mistake. It must have been hours before I worked it out. Slowly the lights were dimming. Hour by hour, they grew duller. Soon, there will be no light. Only me and whatever controls this place. Whatever like to paint with blood. And my last story of the evening is Men Imitating Things. You live on your own, and you tell yourself this is by choice. But really, part of the reason is that you were never that great with people to begin with, which is also part of the reason you live about 10 miles from the nearest town. The view is beautiful, you'll insist. The land was cheap, you'll say, even if no one is around to ask. There is the benefit of the fact that out here, you don't get nearly as much of traffic or noise that comes with surrounding yourself with people, which is always a plus. So, it surprises you a little. As you prepare your dinner one night, when you think you hear a man in the woods. So you stop for a moment, settling the knife down so you can hear it clearly. But the sounds remind you of dogs. But the tone is not quite right. They sound more like men imitating dogs. And as time passes on, more join. Then, just as suddenly as they came, they were gone. So, you shrug it off, coyotes probably, drunk men far from home wandering the woods, maybe. You don't really care to know, though you do lock the doors this night, something that you don't often do. It's later, this very same week, that it begins raining, and you notice that once more, there's something sounds off. You can see the rain. You know it's there. You can see the woods. You know no one is around. And yet, you find the rain sounds not as it should, but like a man imitating rain. Unlike the dogs, you do find this rather soothing. So you leave the door unlocked and you sleep in the living room, 
watching and listening to the off-key rain. The very next day, you notice deer tracks in the mud as you enjoy a cup of coffee on your porch. Well rested from the night before, so you finish your cup, suit up, and follow the tracks. The nearest market is so far away, you would rather prefer to hunt and gather what you can just so you can avoid the trip. Staying as hidden as you can, you spot the deer from a distance. You can also spot what looks like a bush at first, but a harder stare tells you that it is a man, a man imitating a bush. This is private property, and from the way he looks, you gather he's here to hunt. But he's too close. He's standing not ten feet away from the deer. You can see that he hasn't drawn any kind of gun or bow, and you decide to beat him to the punch. So you aim, fire, and kill the deer. Quickly, you start to get up, eager to see if the man has startled, but stop when you see that he has not. He, instead slowly, turns his head to the deer, stands, and makes the short walk over. And that's when you realize that something is very wrong. He moves as if he has no defined bones or joints. You can see now that he is at his full height, that where the leaves don't cover, there are no clothes or human limbs, only thin branches bunched together in a poor replica of what they are meant to be. He shuffles over the deer for a moment before reaching down Sharp branches growing out to form too many fingers bring the whole thing up to consume. Then you realize, struck motionless with fear, that all this time it wasn't men imitating things. It was things imitating men. My final story of this evening is one that chills me to the bone and I have been thinking about ever since I first heard it. It's called The Woman in the Oven. During the summer of 1983, in a quiet town near Minneapolis, Minnesota, the charred body of a woman was found inside the kitchen stove of a small farmhouse. A video camera was also found in the kitchen, standing on a tripod and pointing at the oven. No tape was found inside the camera at the time. Although the scene was originally labeled as a homicide by police, an unmarked VHS tape was later discovered at the bottom of the farm's well, which had apparently dried up earlier that year. Despite its worn condition and the fact that it contained no audio, police were still able to view the contents of the tape. It depicted a woman recording herself in front of a video camera, seemingly using the same camera the police found in the kitchen. After positioning the camera to include both her and her kitchen stove in the image, the tape then showed her turning on the oven, opening the door, crawling inside, and then closing the door behind her. Eight minutes into the video, the oven could be seen shaking violently after which point thick black smoke could be seen emanating from it. The camera then continued to stationary point at the oven for another 45 minutes until the batteries apparently died. 
To avoid disturbing the local community, police never released any information about the tape or even the fact that it was found. Police were also not able to determine who put the tape in the well or why the physical stature of the woman on the tape did not in any way resemble the stature of the woman found in the oven. Okay, folks, and that ends spooky stories. Yeah. <laughs> we all hope you seem to have pleasant dreams tonight. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you, Brandon, for joining us. It's always yes. a, always a pleasure to hear your spooky stories with your wonderful spooky voice. Yep. And folks, hopefully you liked our initial episode. Maybe we'll do more of spooky stories but until then happy halloween stay, <laughs> stay creepy happy halloween <laughs>